Good morning, Seattle. Good morning, San Francisco. Good morning, New York City and Atlanta, Georgia. Can you hear the clock of time? Can you hear the existential wristwatch that's telling you to head to life? You gotta head home to life. Can you hear the bell tower? Can you hear the ringing of the eternal clock? It's about 7.40 a.m. Pacific Standard Time in Little Saigon, Seattle. While supplies last, right? It is March the 13th, Saturday. Saturday morning, March the 13th, 2021. Have you bought your Christmas gifts yet? Your Christmas gifts? Have you shopped for Thanksgiving Christmas holiday? Because it's March, and you're running out of time. Christmas is right around the fucking corner. Have you bought a gift for your girlfriend, the one you love? Are you going to fall in love this year? Do you expect to drink wine by the sea with some wonderful woman while the sun sets and you're thinking about bacon? Do you? What about now? When you look at the sky, does it make you want to cry? Or are you ready to Grab this thing called life, this rocket ship called life. Set a course with the transmogulation device for a planet called joy. Are you ready to take off in this rocket ship, baby? Are you ready to be my captain?
First topic, the COVID. This is an article that is coming from a website called lifesitenews.com, full disclosure. It, this looks like an anti-abortion website. Um, you can take that for whatever it means. The title of the article, Bombshell, 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 Stats Canada claims lockdowns, not COVID-19, are now driving excess deaths. Oh. Sorry. Yeah. And this article was published on March the 11th, 2021, and the author is Pete Baklinski. Pete Baklinski. And the link is in the notes. Ottawa, Canada, March the 11th, 2021. Canada's National Statistical Agency stated in a report released yesterday that there are, and I quote, excess deaths in the country when compared to previous years. But those deaths are not due only to COVID-19, but are due increasingly, increasingly, but are due increasingly to what it calls, and I quote, the indirect consequences of the pandemic. Oh, that sounds like an oops. Citing as examples delayed medical procedures due to lockdowns and increased substance use. Yeah, that's also called slow motion suicide. And I quote, In the early months of the pandemic, the weekly number of excess deaths and deaths caused by COVID-19 were closely aligned and mostly affected older populations, suggesting that COVID-19 itself was driving excess mortality in Canada, stated Stats Canada in its March 10th report titled Provisional Death Counts and Excess Mortality, January to December 2020. However, more recently, the number of excess deaths has been higher than the number of deaths due to COVID-19, and these deaths are affecting younger populations, suggesting that other factors, including possible indirect impacts of the pandemic, are now at play, the report added. Stats Canada reported that in 2020, there were an estimated 296,000 373 deaths in Canada, representing an excess of 13,798 deaths above and beyond what would have been expected had there been no pandemic. This is about 5% more deaths than expected in that period, the report stated. But the statistics agency went on to point out how last year saw across the country a significant spike in, for example, overdose, overdose deaths as lockdowns forced drug users to withdraw to themselves and away from, and I quote, substance use treatment programs that could help them. For example, and I quote, for example, in British Columbia, the chief coroner's office has reported increases in deaths due to overdoses since the start of the pandemic. Similarly, Alberta Health Services reported decreases in both the provision and use of substance use treatment programs 
as well as increases in opioid-related emergency responses and deaths since the onset, onset, since the onset of the pandemic, the report stated. An additional Stats Canada report released today on the social and economic impacts of COVID-19 in the country doubled down on the claim from the previous report, stating that, quote, non-COVID-19-related deaths account for some of the excess mortality, end quote. The report listed delayed cancer screenings, a plummet in Canadians' overall mental health, and damage caused to low-income Canadians as consequences of the lockdowns and restrictions put in place by government authorities to keep people safe from the virus. And I quote, For colorectal cancers, a six-month suspension of primary screening could increase cancer incidence by 2,200 cases, with 960 more cancer deaths over the lifetime, the report stated. The report noted that when it comes to breast cancer screenings, And I quote, a three-month interruption could increase cases diagnosed at advanced stages, 310 more, and cancer deaths, 110 more, from 2020 to 2029, adding that a six-month interruption could lead to 670 extra advanced cancers and 250 additional cancer deaths. Canada has a population of about 37 million. The government of Canada reports today that there have been about 22,000 deaths attributed to COVID-19, meaning that a mere 0.05 percent, five one-hundredths of one percent of the population, has succumbed to the virus. Of the estimated 896,739 cases, there have been 843,000 962 recoveries, meaning that about 95% of those infected have already recovered. The majority, 88.5% of COVID-19 deaths in Canada, you know what, I'm going to fucking finish right here. I'm going to finish right here. You can read the rest of this fucking article because, yeah, you can. I can't read it any further. Let me summarize what the article says so that we can be clear and then you can read the rest of it on your own. The article's basically saying that a lot of the deaths that happened in Canada last year, and and really probably if there was an honest report on this, probably pretty much all of the deaths that were excess deaths in 2019, excuse me, 2020, in Canada were probably mostly due to the way that the government of Canada responded to this bullshit virus. The suicides, the overdoses, the people that didn't get cancer treatment, the people that ignored their diabetes, their heart disease, you name it. These are the real victims of COVID. That's the truth. The truth is, if you believe the lie, you believe it's okay to murder people. That's where we're at in 2021. A year ago, I would have cut you some fucking slack. If you go around sending pictures of how you just got the vaccine, that there is zero evidence does anything, lots of evidence that the experts tell you you're going to have to get more vaccines, more vaccinations, it probably won't fucking work. If you send around pictures to people of how you got the vaccine, you are deciding to be partially culpable in this bullshit. That is where we're at. There is no side road now where you can say, well, it's the election, Dan. Fuck you. The election is over. If you gave a shit about that bullshit, 
fuck you. You are a moron. People are dying. People are being killed. And it's not the magical virus. And who knows? Maybe they will release a magical virus. Maybe that's coming. Maybe that's on the menu. I have no idea. They don't call me. What I was told years ago when I was trained by these motherfuckers is we don't do biological warfare because biological warfare is impossible to control. Now, of course, that was 25 years ago. Maybe they're so smart, so competent, keep in, word, keep in mind the word competent, so fucking competent as government people, they can now manage biological warfare. But then again, if you recognize that government is, by its very nature, inherently incompetent, then how the fuck does that work exactly? How do you keep those fucking ideas in your head? I think the reason why they didn't do the bio-war is because they might still be smart enough to know that once you do that, it's probably all over. Once you decide to toss a biological warfare hand grenade, into a population of nearly 8 billion people. I don't care how many supercomputers you have. I'm not going to give a remedial explanation of how chaos theory works, what fractal geometry is, or the nature of topology or complex relationships and ecosystems. What I will tell you is that the motherfuckers who gave you the blue screen operating system, the operating system that mostly sometimes never worked, these are the same motherfuckers who say, trust version one of our vaccine. Believe us that we can do these things. And then you want to believe that they can deploy a bioweapon and keep it under control. No. They're, they're stupid and they're unwise and they're evil as fuck. But I think when they told me 25 years ago we don't do biowar, it's because they do know one thing. Once you toss that chunk of toxic bablimbak into the system, that chunk of cropulus, that so-called pseudo-intellectual structure you think you control. Once you toss that into nature, nature's going to chew that shit up, spit it back at you as something else. That's reality, whether it's the bioweapon or the vaccine. That's reality. And as far as the vaccine goes, it could be a placebo. In a lot of cases, it could just be saline. I think the vaccine the Russians deployed early on was probably mostly saline. Maybe it was some other type of fucking... Maybe it was the flu shot. Really don't know. Do I think the Russians had a magical cure for the magical virus? No. I think they knew it was a fucking psyop to begin with. And so in order to cure the magical virus, you have a magical vaccine. And the great news about the magical vaccine is no one's going to call you on your bullshit because they're all bullshitting. They're all lying. Why would they call you on your bullshit? Oh, Russia deployed a magical vaccine. Really? Why don't we do some actual science on your magical monkey herpes, Dr. Fauci? Why don't we review every fucking thing you've ever said? Why don't we dig into you and find out whether you're someone we want to fucking listen to. It's bad enough that people are saying take these vaccines because Bill Gates is behind it. The motherfucker gave us operating systems that ruined our lives. Are you stupid? 
do you want to get the blue screen? Because it's either a placebo or it's poison. I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's placebo or it's poison. I am pretty much convinced that that Sputnik virus that the Russians deployed was pretty much placebo. It's probably just sailing. Most likely just sailing. That was the whole point. And, and, and in that one simple act, they defeated the entire stupid PSYOP. That's probably what they did. And as far as the rest of the world goes, a lot of places on this planet right now know that this is bullshit. Not a lot of places in Seattle, but a lot of places where people can still understand logic and reason. Anyways, I don't like ranting on this COVID because it's really, it's starting to come between people. And it's starting to be a case of where I know people in my life who think it's okay to just go along with it. And I think, you know, it's not. It's not okay. If, if you went along with it up until this point, I get it. But it's not okay. All right? The government is starting to admit that the real murder and death and destruction from COVID was the response to COVID. The reason why they're starting to admit this is because the data doesn't lie and people are beginning to wake up. Now, of course, about the time they wake up, you'll probably get another race war. Probably it'll be related to the Chauvin trial. You'll have commies marching up down the streets right at the moment when you're this fucking close to seeing what's going on. They're going to you know, get the commies marching again. That's a good Pol Pot thing to do. Yeah, I had this song I was going to sing, and I don't even know if I should because that last little topic really just made me so angry. Um, before we move on, I've seen with my own eyes what stage four cancer looks like. When you think about the consequences of COVID-19, you need to understand something. There are people that are going to go through stage four cancer that never had to. They had cancers that could have been treated at stage one or stage two. There are people that are going to go through the most excruciating, terrible, murderous, monstrous, painful, fucking death you can fucking imagine. And it's not the COVID that's gonna do this to them, it's stage four cancer. So for those of you out there who want to go around morally speaking out of your fucking ass, here's a simple message. Fuck you. Fuck you and your lie. Fuck you and your deception. Fuck you and the fact that you have to be a slave. And what's worse is you want to make other people slaves. Fuck you. Is that clear?
There's no innocent here, people. There isn't. If you come out and say, well, Dan, you can't, people have a, you know, you have a choice to make. It's true. If you want to wear a mask around, I don't give a fuck, truly, if that's your own personal fucking choice. But you don't have a right to go around giving speeches about the stupid shit you do and then expecting other people to do the same stupid shit. If the pandemic were real, the mask would not help you. If the pandemic were real, the mask would still be essentially harmful. If the pandemic were real and you were sick, you were symptomatic, wearing the mask will create a baffle, a structure, that creates turbulence around your mouth. So as those virus particles are atomized, because guess what? Wearing the mask will help to atomize them. They will be energized and stay in the air longer. Wearing the mask allows the particles to stay in the air longer. Wake the fuck up. That's all I want to say about that bullshit. It's just too fucking depressing. It's like I gotta open up this fucker. I gotta open up, I gotta clean, I gotta clean my palate of this fucking bullshit, you know? to get that out of my system. This is fucking bullshit. You, you can tell me in April of 2020, okay, you can tell me a year ago, well, Dan, people don't understand. It's not a year ago. Catch up. Look around. Put down your smart device and look around. The construction on my street has never stopped. Now, that's a weird thing during a plague. But what's even stranger is it's sped up. What's even stranger is that there used to be a fucking homeless shelter next to my building. You know what it looks like now? It looks like the beginning of another fucking... I'm, I'm a friend of Mayor Jenny Durkin fucking slum pit that they're going to build. Or something to that effect. Who the fuck knows? The prison for children? That production, that project sped up since the commies marched by. So the commies have essentially helped to speed up construction of shitty housing. The, the commies have essentially helped out the people who are going to start kicking people into the streets for rent in two weeks. The commies have done exactly what the real estate whores of Seattle want them to do. Wake the fuck up. Sector one, we'll have some fun. I'll steal some bread, you'll bring the gun. Sector one, see you in the camps. Sector three, you and me. I'll drink your pee, cause I'm really thirsty. They don't give me no water in the camps. 
Sector 9, Sector 9, Sector 9, you say, we are fine. I bought you whiskey, you got real frisky, then dumped my ass in the camps we sang. Weird songs of frolicking tanks, we how we lost our money in the oil flesh banks, how there's no bread or beer or girls, how this is a terrible world. Covered in smingus, it makes you still linger, barely alive, trying to strive, meeting that next production goal. Making weather, making leather wallets in the camps. Making leather wallets in the camps. Had to get that out of my system. I wish I could turn that. I would flesh that out. That would be a number one hit in the camps next year. Of course, the way we would spread this song is we would design a special a special butt plug. A butt plug for your flash drive. Yeah, you remember the sneaker net? Sneaker net existed before, you know, internet, right? You would put something on a disc and you'd run around and take it to your friend's house and you're wearing sneakers. So it's a sneaker net. Well, this would be the butt plug net. This would be the network of communication at the camps by the year 2025. By the year 2025, the World Wide Web for people in the camps, all your lovers, your camp lovers, especially those in Sector 79, you will take a, a rubber object with a flash drive and you'll shove it up your butt. You will put the poetry and the music and the, and the knowledge and the porno up your butt. That's how we save knowledge. Yes, by the year 2025, by the year 2025, the knowledge of humanity, the knowledge that the police state cannot destroy, will mostly be shoved up people's butts. year 2025. Here is an article I'm going to read from the AP. It's a good article. I love it. Headline. And, and this article was published yesterday, for, you know, AP. And the headline is, and, and, and the link's in the fucking notes. The headline is, I love this article, published yesterday, March the 12th, right? Headline, Chicago food truck owner admits to selling guns from eatery. The owner 
of a Chicago food truck admitted Friday he illegally sold guns from his mobile eatery along with sandwiches piled high with salami, roast beef, and turkey. Terry Ferguson, 56, of Willowbrook, pleaded guilty in U.S. District Court to narcotics and gun trafficking charges that included the 2015 sale of two dozen guns from the back of his truck known as and I quote, Chicago's finest deli on wheels. The gun transaction was captured on video by an undercover agent for the U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. You know, shit, that's what we call a good time in Kentucky on a Friday night. Alcohol, tobacco, firearms, and explosives. That's a conduct. That is a Kentucky Friday night. The guns, including ten rifles, four shotguns, and and uh, an array of pistols. An array. That sounds. That sounds really ominous. An an array of pistols. That's scary were allegedly stolen by a Ferguson associate from a Chicago home. Well, that's that you, know, you shouldn't steal though. You know, print the guns and sell them from your food truck is what I say. I'll let you read the rest of this. It's just I love the article because it just feels right. I don't know what to say beyond that. It feels right. It connects with me. There are articles I I'll read and I'll say, you know, this is terrible. This makes me depressed. You know, c- clearly some of the subjects I cover are just really just dark, but this article of selling guns from your food truck, I mean, that is just beautiful. If you think about it, if you could just put your whole mobile gun printing business on a couple of trucks and then have a food truck for distribution, so you get a couple big long haul trucks for your main factory for printing guns, and then you have your food truck for bringing the tacos to dinner. I think it's I think it's lovely. Next topic, um, yeah. Here's an article. Here's another great story that we'll read. This was published in the New York Post. I'm gonna drink a little bit of my coffee. I'm gonna drink a little coffee. The headline. Headline for this article, scientists, scientists, we need to do this right, scientists, scientists want to send 6.7 million sperm samples to the moon. This was written by Hannah Sparks after drinking last weekend. I'm kidding. But it was written by Hannah Sparks on March the 11th, 2021. And once again, headline... 
headline. Scientists want to send 6.7 million sperm samples to the moon. Scientists have begun to lay plans for repopulation, starting with a sperm bank on the moon. In what they're calling, and I quote, a modern global insurance policy, mechanical engineers have proposed that humans establish a repository of reproductive cells, sperm and ova, from 6.7 million of Earth species, including humans. And the proposed bank, or ark, would be beneath the moon's surface. Well, that's where you'd have to do it, someplace where you can do your dark, dirty business, buddy. As our planet faces natural disasters, drought, asteroids, and potential for nuclear war, to name a few troubles, scientists say that humans must set their sights on space travel to preserve life as we know it. And I quote, Earth is naturally a volatile environment, said study author Jaken Donga, whose team at the University of Arizona submitted their report, Lunar Pits and Lava Tubes, for a modern arc. Wow, that could be slightly changed into a title on Pornhub. At the annual Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers Aerospace Conference on Saturday. Due to the planet's instability, he said, an Earth-based repository would leave specimens vulnerable. As such, Thanga proposed jump-starting a planetary exodus of sorts by founding a human seed vault on the moon as soon as possible. It would store reproductive cells in recently discovered lunar pits from which scientists believe lava once flowed billions of years ago. Or once a month, right? The so-called Ark, according to Thonga's presentation, would then cryogenically preserve various species in the event of a global disaster. And I quote, We can still save them until the tech advances to then reintroduce these species. In other words, save them for another day, he said. The pits, are, the pits also are the perfect size for cell storage, according to Thonga. They go down 80 to 100 meters underground and... Quote, provide ready-made shelter from the surface of the moon, which endures major temperature swings as well as threats from meteorites and radiation. Now, that didn't bother the Apollo astronauts, though, did it, Thonga? Thonga said many plants and animals are seriously endangered and cited the eruption of Indonesia's Mount Toba 75,000 years ago as a reason for worrying, saying it caused a 1,000-year cooling period and, according to some, aligns with an estimated drop in human diversity. He sees a current-day parallel, quote, due to human activity and other factors we fully don't understand, he said, adding that already there's been rapid losses over the last few decades.
The art concept is already being employed by the Svalbard Global Seed Vault, housing plant seeds, that is, on the Norwegian, not jizz. They're not, they're not holding jizz at Svalbard. They're, they're, they're seeds, not jizz. On the Norwegian island of Spitsbergen, in the Arctic Circle, the one that's currently, you know, yeah. Where scientists say the massive stone structure can endure undisturbed by humans or the elements, there are over 992,000 unique samples, with each containing an average of 500 seeds. Danga added that he was surprised by how cost-effective the mission could be. According to his back-of-an-envelope estimations he did at the bar last weekend, to transport 50 samples of each species, the 6.7 million target, would take 250 rocket launches. By comparison, 40 launches were required to build the International Space Station, which sits in low Earth orbit, far closer than the moon. It's not crazy big, Thonga insisted. We were a little bit surprised about that. Wow, thank you, Thonga. Yeah, you can, you know, research this more yourself. Um, what can I say about this article? Um, what can I tell you about this? How, how can we continue on the subject? When I was in high school, I read a short story by Kurt Vonnegut called The Big Space Fuck. Um, I intend to read that story in today's podcast. It's going to be part of the record... I'll fully reference it. Kurt Vonnegut's ghost might come back and try to kill me for not giving him 25% or something. But then I will tell Kurt Vonnegut's ghost, I ain't got no fucking money, honey. So you can have 25% of zero. Fucking Kurt Vonnegut's ghost. Yeah, when I was in high school, I read the short story by Kurt Vonnegut called The Big Space Fuck. I'm going to read that story because it sort of fits with the news story. You'll see, you'll see, you'll see. And so here's a story. Um, it was written, I believe, in 1972. And I think it was published um, in an anthology. The title is The Big Space Fuck, and here we go. In 1987, 
It became possible in the United States of America for a young person to sue his parents for the way he had been raised. He could take them to court and make them pay money and even serve jail terms for serious mistakes they made when he was just a helpless little kid. This was not only an effort to achieve justice, but to encourage reproduction, since there wasn't anything much to eat anymore. Abortions were free. Any woman who volunteered for one got her choice of a bathroom scale or a table lamp. In 1989, America staged the big, the big space fuck, which was a serious effort to make sure that human life would continue to exist somewhere in the universe since it certainly couldn't continue much longer on Earth. Everything had turned to shit, and beer cans, and old automobiles, and Clorox bottles. An interesting thing happened in the Hawaiian, island, Hawaiian Islands, where they had been throwing trash down extinct volcanoes for years. A couple volcanoes all of a sudden spit it all back up, and so on. This was a period of great permissiveness in matters of language. So even the president was saying shit and fuck and so on without anybody's feeling threatened or taking offense. It was perfectly okay. He called the space fuck a space fuck and so did everybody else. It was a rocket ship with 800 pounds of freeze-dried jism in its nose. It was, gonna, it was going to be fired at the Andromeda Galaxy, two million light years away. The ship was named the Arthur C. Clarke, in honor of a famous space pioneer. The ship was named the Arthur C. Clarke in honor of a famous space pioneer. It was to be fired at midnight on the 4th of July. At 10 o'clock that night, Dwayne Hublary, Hublary and his wife Grace were watching the countdown on television in the living room of their modest home in Elk Harbor, Ohio, on the shore of what used to be Lake Erie. Lake Erie was almost solid sewage now. There were man-eating lampreys in, in, in there 38 feet long. Duane was a guard in the Ohio Adult Correctional Institution, which was two miles away. His hobby was making birdhouses out of Clorox bottles. He went on making them and hanging them around his yard, even though there weren't any birds anymore. Dwayne and Grace marveled at a film demonstration of how jism had been freeze-dried for the trip. A small beaker of the stuff, which had been contributed by the head of the mathematics department at the University of Chicago, was flash-frozen. 
Then it was placed under a, under a bell jar, and the air was exhausted from the jar. The air evanesced, leaving a fine white powder. The powder certainly didn't look like much. Dwayne Hubler said so. But there were several hundred million sperm cells in there in suspended animation. The original contribution and average contribution had been two cubic centimeters. There was enough powder, Duane estimated out loud, to clog the eye of a needle, and 800 pounds of stuff would soon be on its way to Andromeda. Fuck you, Andromeda, said Duane. Fuck you, Andromeda, said Duane. And he wasn't being coarse. He was echoing the billboards and the stickers all over town. Other signs said, Andromeda, we love you. And Earth has the hots for Andromeda. And so on. There was a knock on the door. And an old friend of the family, the county sheriff, simultaneously let himself in. How are you, you old motherfucker, said Duane. Can't complain, shitface, said the sheriff. And they joshed back and forth like that for a while. Grace chuckled and joined their wit. She wouldn't have chuckled so richly, however, if she had been a little more observant. She might have noticed that the sheriff's jocularity was very much on the surface. Underneath? Underneath. He had something troubling on his mind. She might have noticed, too, that he had legal papers in his hand. Sit down, you silly old fart, said Duane, and watch Andromeda get the surprise of her life. The way I understand it, the sheriff replied, I'd have to sit there for more than two million years. My old lady might wonder what's become of me. <laughs> he was a lot smarter than Duane. He had jism on the Arthur C. Clarke, and Duane didn't. You had to have an IQ of over 115 to have your jism accepted. There were certain exceptions to this. If you were a good athlete or could play a musical instrument or paint pictures. But Duane didn't qualify in any of those ways either. He had hoped the birdhouse makers might be entitled to special consideration. But this turned out not to be the case. The director of the New York Philharmonic, on the other hand, was entitled to contribute a whole quart if he wanted to. He was 68 years old. Duane was 42. There was an old astronaut on the television now. He was saying that he sure wished he could go where his jism was going, but he would sit at home instead with his memories and his glass of Tang. Tang used to be the official drink of astronauts. It was freeze-dried orangeade. Maybe you haven't got two million years, said Duane, but you've got at least five minutes. Sit thee down. What I'm here for, said, said the sheriff, and he let his unhappiness show, 
is something customarily do you do standing up. Duane and Grace were sincerely puzzled. They didn't have the least idea what was coming next. Here's what it was. The sheriff handed them handed each of them a subpoena, and he said, It's my sad duty to inform you that your daughter, Wanda June, has accused you of ruining her when she was a child. Dwayne and Grace were thunderstruck. They knew that Wanda June was 21 now and entitled to sue, but they certainly hadn't expected her to do so. She was in New York City, and when they congratulated her about her birthday on the telephone, in fact, one of the things Grace had said was, Well, you can sue us now, honey bunch, if you want to. Grace was so sure she and Dwayne had been good parents that she could laugh when she went on. If you want to, you can send your rotten old parents off to jail. Wanda June was an only child, incidentally. She had come close to having some siblings, but Grace had 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 them aborted. Grace had taken three table lamps and a bathroom scale instead. What does she say we did wrong? Grace asked the sheriff. There's a separate list of charges inside each of your subpoenas, he said. And he couldn't look his wretched old friends in the eye, so he looked at the television instead. A scientist... A scientist was explaining why Andromeda had been selected as a target. There were at least 87 chrono-synclastic time warps between Earth and the Andromeda galaxy. If the Arthur C. Clarke passed through any one of them, the ship and its load would be multiplied a trillion times and would appear everywhere throughout space and time. If there's any fecundity anywhere in the universe, the scientist promised, our seed will find it and bloom. One of the most depressing things about the space program so far, of course, was that it had demonstrated that fecundity was one hell of a long way off, if anywhere. Dumb people like Dwayne and Grace, and even fairly smart people like the sheriff, had been encouraged to believe that there was hospitality out there, and that the Earth was just a piece of shit to use as a launching platform. Now Earth was really, now Earth really was, now Earth really was a piece of shit. And it was beginning to dawn on even the dumb people that it might be the only inhabitable planet human beings would ever find. Grace was in tears over being sued by her daughter, and the list of charges she, she was reading was broken into multiple images by the tears. Oh God, oh God, oh God, she said. She's talking about things I forgot all about. But she never forgot a thing. She's talking about something that happened when she was only four years old. Dwayne was reading charges against himself, so he didn't ask Grace what awful thing she was supposed to have done when Wanda June was only four. But here it was. 
Poor little Wanda June drew, drew pretty pictures with a crayon all over the, li the new living room wallpaper to make her mother happy. Her mother blew up and spanked her instead. Since that day, Wanda June claimed she had not been able to look at any sort of art materials without trembling like a leaf and breaking out into cold sweats. Thus was I deprived, Wanda June's lawyer had her say, of a brilliant and lucrative career in the arts. Dwayne, meanwhile, was learning that he had ruined his daughter's opportunities for what her lawyer called advantageous marriage and the comfort and love therefrom. Dwayne had done this supposedly by being half in the bag whenever a suitor came to call. Also, he was often stripped to the waist when he answered the door, but still had on his cartridge belt and his revolver. She was even able to name a lover her father had lost for her, John L. Newcomb, who had finally married somebody else. He had a very good job now. He was in command of the security force at, at an arsenal out in South Dakota where they stockpiled cholera and bubonic plague. The sheriff had still more bad news to deliver. And he knew he would have an opportunity to deliver it soon enough. Poor Dwayne and Grace were bound to ask him, what made her do this to us? The answer to that question would be more bad news, which was that Wanda June was in jail, charged with being the head of a shoplifting ring. The only way she could avoid prison was to prove that everything she was and did was her parents' fault. Meanwhile, Senator Flem Snopes of Mississippi, chairman of the Senate Space Committee, had appeared on television screen. He was very happy about the big space fuck. And he said it had been what the American space program had been aiming toward all along. He was proud, he said, that the United States had seen fit to locate the biggest jism freezing plant in his little old hometown, which was Mayhew. The word jism had an interesting history, by the way. It was, an, it was old as fuck and shit and so on, but it continued to be excluded from the dictionaries long after the others were let in. This was because so many people wanted it to remain a truly magic word, the only one left. And when the United States announced that it was going to do a truly magical thing, was going to fire sperm at the Andromeda galaxy, the populace corrected its government. Their collective unconscious announced that it was time for the last magic word to come into the open. They insisted that sperm was nothing to fire at another galaxy. Only jism would do. So the government began using that word. And it did something that never done before, either. It standardized the way the word was spelled. The man who was the interviewing Senator Snopes asked him to stand up so everybody could get a good look at his codpiece, which the senator did. 
God pieces were very much in fashion, and many men were wearing God pieces in the shape of rocket ships in honor of the big space fuck. These customarily had the letters USA embroidered on the shaft. Senator Snope's shaft, however, bore the stars and bars of the Confederacy. This led the conversation into the area of heraldry in general, and the interviewer reminded the senator of his campaign to eliminate the bald eagle as the national bird. The senator explained that he didn't like to have his country represented by a creature that obviously hadn't been able to cut the mustard in modern times. Asked to name a creature that had been able to cut the mustard, the senator did better than that. He named two, the lamprey and the bloodworm. And unbeknownst to him or to anybody, lampreys were finding the Great Lakes too vile and noxious even for them. While all the human beings were in their houses watching the big space fuck, lampreys were squirming out of the ooze and onto land. Some of them were nearly as long and thick as the Arthur C. Clarke. And Grace Hubler tore her wet eyes from what she had been reading, and she asked the sheriff the question he had been dreading to hear. What made her do this to us? The sheriff told her. And then he cried out against the cruel fate, too. This is the most horrible duty I ever had to carry out, he said brokenly to deliver news this heartbreaking to friends as close as you two are on a night that's supposed to be the most joyful night in the history of mankind. He left sobbing and stumbled right into the mouth of a lamprey. The lamprey ate him immediately, but not before he screamed. Dwayne and Grace Hubler rushed outside to see what the screaming was about, and the lamprey ate them too. It was ironical that their television set continued to report the countdown, even though they weren't around any more to see or hear or care. Nine, said a voice, and then eight, and then seven, and so on. This has been a reading of The Big Space Fuck by Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah, I don't know if Kurt Vonnegut was super proud of that particular short story. I know that one of the comments I read is that he didn't really like writing short stories. It's funny how people are like that. Some people like writing short stories. Some people like writing long stories. I would just love to figure out a way to get paid, you know? I'll, I'll do porno scripts if I, I'm kidding. I won't do porno scripts. I'd run, I would write country music, though, which, when you think about it, is almost as bad as writing porno. Almost as bad. 
what can I tell you? What can I tell you about the big space fuck um, before we move on? What can I tell you? Here's what I'll say. Probably in the year 2036, there will be men who load onto the spaceship of, I assume, Dr. Thonga. Dr. Thonga's magical spacecraft. And they will load onto the Jizzcraft 1 on their way to Moon Base. <sighs> What's a sleazy name? I don't know. I don't want to be too crass, right? But they will travel to Moon Base. Ugh. Victor Alpha Juliet. They will arrive. They will arrive. And they will get into the elevator to go down to the shaft, the lava shaft. They will travel into the lava tube. The lava lube will be available for them. Lava lube, trademarked. Pornhub will run the Jizz facility. It'll fund it. And various people will go there. Various professors and scientists will travel to the moon. And they'll turn on some TV. There'll be a jar. Yeah, that's enough of that. Too gross, too gross, too gross. A quote from Dr. Freckles. More gun printing, less cops. Yeah, I'll get into that one next. So before we move on too much further into the topics today, now we're already at over an hour. Can you believe it? This is crazy. Before we go too much further, I need to say something about a video. I put a video up this week on YouTube that was removed, and then I received a strike. And just so you know, I got a warning because I, because I did a podcast with somebody that um, gave me a porno link to put in the notes, and that porno link gave me a warning Thank you. That was good. That warning's still on my account. And then last week I get a strike. If you get three strikes, you're out. The thing is, I received a strike for medical misinformation. They don't tell you specifically what you said was wrong. They don't say you made this statement and this statement is false. They just categorically say, well, you must, you're talking about the virus and you're not, you're not using a nice tone and our AI has determined that people talk about COVID in a mean way need to a strike. Yeah, maybe. That could be what happened. And then maybe my response to them is what cleared it up. But the whole thing is just too fucking stupid. I don't know what's going on out there, guys. I don't know where we're at in the game. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. Only Jesus does. Um, I would suggest prayer is one of the best strategies you can follow right now. Other than prayer, um, 
do the best you can with the resources you have, you know? I, I know that's a weird sort of way of drifting away from YouTube banning a video, but this is all just so stupid. There have been a lot of accounts that have been deleted, removed. There's been a lot of censorship. I don't always know if the censorship itself serves any other purpose but to be another trauma monkey. Another way to just keep people angry and focused on things that do not matter. There are things that matter at this point. Someone threatening you with jail or false imprisonment if you don't inject poison into your body. That matters. And I don't care if there's a chance it's just saline. Okay? That's like saying the government has a right to go up to your door and play Russian roulette. No, they don't. Okay? They don't have a right to go to your door with a revolver, put one cartridge in, spin the chamber, and then say, Wanna try? That's not something that is their right. That is only God's right. That is a usurped right, frankly, usurped a long time ago in this country. All of our freedoms were stolen and sold back to us for the price of an income tax. Wow. Yeah, we got, we got duped. We did. Our parents did. Our grandparents did. We were fooled from the beginning. That's okay. That's an old story. First Samuel chapter 8. This story goes back a long time. Anywho, the video, placebo or poison, is back up if you want to listen to it. That podcast, whatever. More gun printing, less cops. This is a Dr. Freckles quote, but this refers to an article. And you can find an article on this yourself, but it refers to the case of Sarah Everhart. Everard. Everard. I hope I'm saying that right. Everard. Sarah Everard. Uh, a woman, a young woman in the UK that was kidnapped and murdered. Probably a lot of other things bad happened to her too. And, and, and you know, here's the thing you need to know about this. It wasn't an immigrant that did this. It wasn't some random doofus. This was a metropolitan police officer named Wayne Cousins that kidnapped a young woman. Now, the reason why I'm mentioning this is because there are a lot of motherfuckers out there who will read a story about something like this and say, I wish we had more cops. Well, if you want more cops, you want more thieves. Because guess what? You know who steals most of the money on U.S. highways every year? Eh, not the robbers. The police. Of course, they do it. You know, the law lets them do these, these civil asset for forfeitures. Civil asset forfeiture. That is a really, really nice description of a robbery at gunpoint. Someone comes to your fucking car, says, oh, is that a bag in the back? Oh, there's money in the bag. Can you show me a book where you got all this money? Oh, you can't. I'll yoink. That's known as a robbery, okay? But it's legal in this country. So when people say things like, well, this cop did this terrible thing. Ergo, we need more cops. Bing. That is the surest way you know that person's mentally ill. If the solution to your problem, to what happened to Sarah, is let's ban guns and have more cops, you deserve everything that's coming to you. All of it. All of it. And it'll be brutal, and it'll be painful, and I cannot help you. It's too late. It is. It's 2021. If you're still out there pretending that this shit is normal, good luck. 
because you will normally dance your way into a situation where you will get poisoned or raped or killed or somebody you love gets poisoned or raped or killed by the authorities. But Dan, stuff like this never happens. Why don't you research the United Nations peacekeepers in Africa? That's your research project for today. I'm not going to give you the cheat sheet. I'm tired of it. You're not going to get the shortcut. Research United Nations peace, peace workers, peace officers, peace protectors, peacekeepers. Research UN peacekeepers in Africa with the additional search criteria rape. You'll find a bunch of links. I was going to have a kind of an abstract conversation about this sort of distinction between representation and solutions, and I, I wasn't sure if it made sense. It's, it's sort of abstract, but um, I'll try. Sometimes people screw up because they have the wrong solution. Okay, they, they understand the problem, they look at the problem, they understand it, but their solution is terrible. You know, for example, scarcity is a real thing in the world. You know, scarcity is a real thing. There are opportunity costs, there are choices, and scarcity is real. You know, I'm sorry, it is. Um, people can beat up on Malthus all they want to, but scarcity is a part of the economics of the world, even if it's just in terms of time. But some people will look at that problem, which is real, which is you have choices, you have finite resources, you have finite time, these are real constraints. Some people will look at that and say, well, therefore, I'll steal all the resources, I'll steal all the time, and then I'll distribute them equally. Steal the time, steal the resources. And if you want to substitute time for work in the physical sense, in the sense of physics, go ahead. But what they'll do is we'll steal all this scarce work, and then we'll figure out a just way to distribute it. Well, that's kind of insane. The net effect of doing that is you had a pizza, a pizza with 12 slices. Now you have a really shitty egg McMuffin, and the sausage is made from meat that's 12 years old. Okay, and now you're going to take that really shitty Egg McMuffin and cut it up into 12 pieces. That is the solution of government and communism and most status and most Keynesianism, Keynesian types. You know, the, the people that believe in the neoliberal bullshit, the people that believe in central bank, central planning. This is their belief that somehow the fucking moldy ass McMuffin is the same as the pizza. Okay, the pizza was real. It was a constraint. You had 12 pieces, but at least you had that. The government stole your pizza and now is saying, here's a nasty ass egg McMuffin made from shit that's too old to serve. So in this particular case, I think the status looks at the problem space and sees scarcity. And that's correct. There is scarcity, but their solution is terrible. So sometimes it is about the solution. Sometimes it's about what you see. It's, it's how you view the problem space. There are a lot of people right now who look at the world and believe scarcity is gone, that, that we're post-scarcity. I don't know what fucking planet they live on. They should come to 12th Avenue because there's scarcity of all kinds of crap here, including clean sidewalks without human shit on them. 
So we got lots of scarce things here in Seattle. We got lots of things that are disappearing or gone. The idea that we're post-scarcity makes no fucking sense. Tell that to people starving in Africa, literally. Tell that to people digging for coltan. No, worse. Tell that to parents. No, they're dead. Tell that to the 10-year-old kids digging for the precious metals, the rare earths, the coltan in some fucking swamp hole in the Congo. Tell that kid how we are post-scarcity. That, that's, that's your... That, that's your... um. Yeah, that's your audience. Don't tell me. I'm a burned out middle-aged hobo. Tell the kid digging for coltan for your new iPhone with their bare hands and probably getting cancer, but you don't really care, do you? Tell that kid about post-scarcity. actually wrote a, a science fiction short story myself, kind of like sci-fi economics. I don't know if it's very good. It's something that should be rewritten a billion times. The title of the story, um, the title, the name of the story is the name of the main character, Morny Drek. And Morny Drek is a person living in a world which has, in a sense, achieved post-scarcity. But it's not a utopia. It's actually just as much a dystopia as this one. It's just a different kind of dystopia, a different kind of what I sometimes call the infinite gray nothing. The thing about the story Morning Drek, and if I can remember, I'll, I'll include a link, is that it describes a future where the problem of scarcity is solved in one sense, but the real truth of scarcity is hidden and it's always there. It describes a future of lies. It describes a future where even though energy and most resources have become essentially free, there's still a central bank. They're still printing money. They're still doing the same stupid shit. Because it turns out technology is just that. It's a tool. I don't care if it's crypto, your computer, your phone, or your gun or a chainsaw. These are tools. They either work or they don't. And how you use them is where the moral issue comes into play. A chunk of code sitting someplace on a flash drive does nothing. You set it up as a mining server, it's doing something, okay? The choices you make as a person cause the technology to do good or bad. The technology itself is neutral in one sense. I give a shit if it works. I give a shit if it's functional. I kind of don't want it to kill me. If I'm ordering coffee at a coffee shop, I don't want it to take a non-deterministic amount of time for that, you know, charge to show up. So sometimes it's about the solution, but sometimes it's about the representation. If you believe that we are in a post-scarcity world, then the solutions you're coming up with right now are probably crazy. I'm sorry. The solutions you're coming up with are probably insane, and they will probably kill you. If you believe we've reached a point in terms of technology where there are no constraints, where essentially the price of everything is, is approaching zero, because that's the definition of post-scarcity, 
then you are coming up with solutions for a world that exists in your head. The real world out there, the world I'm seeing, the world of real constraints and real scarcity and actual problems you know, that exist, not the government bullshit, but the real ones, that's there, that's real, that's getting bigger and meaner, like the fucking lamprey. Okay, you can have whatever fantasy bullshit you want. You can wear your own cod piece with mega on it. But there's still probably a lamprey waiting for you, fucker. Next topic. I don't want to talk about the moon. But I do have a quote from Dr. Freckles, and I quote Dr. Freckles. Humans constantly scapegoat the moon. It's true. We scapegoat the moon. We blame the moon for so many fucking things. It, it wasn't until December that I was reading that they were now blaming the moon for methane releases, and I thought, wow, you know... <laughs> We blame the moon for our crazy. We blame the moon for our menses. Now we blame the moon, and we blame the moon for waves and tides, and maybe this is all true, but now we blame the moon for the methane. And it just, you know, no. No. That's not, the moon didn't do anything. But we constantly scapegoat the moon, we humans. Bullshit, we need to stop that shit. Next topic. Oh, there's a couple articles here, um, and they're related. One of the articles in the notes, I'll let you read it because I want to kind of close this podcast out. I'm not going to read this article. deals with the fact that as of right now, and a lot of folks are going to hear this, and they're not going to want to believe it, because they want to live in a fucking magical fantasy world. But according to what I've read in the last few months, and this is an, and I have a link to an article on the topic, as of right now, the Arctic Ocean is navigable by ships year-round. Fully navigable. The only ice that's returning is seasonal ice, and this is very thin ice and probably chemically nucleated ice, which means more like slush. Okay, so yeah, the Arctic Ocean that they said there were no problems, you can now travel across it year-round in the right kind of ship, and probably within a few years, maybe even an ordinary boat, because there won't be any fucking ice at all. Um, not much left, not in the Arctic Ocean. So let's cover what the Arctic usually does. If the Arctic were intact, it has the albedo effect which means it reflects heat and energy back in the space. That's one. If the Arctic is fully intact, it actually keeps a lot of materials, materials that would convert to CO2 or methane, you know, basically organic materials. It keeps those materials trapped if the Arctic is intact. If the Arctic is intact, it basically acts as a giant air conditioner. The Arctic is no longer intact. Okay, the ocean itself is very dark. So during the summertime now, when it's mostly open and not covered in ice, which is coming soon, those dark waters will heat up quicker. Underneath those dark waters 
are trillions of tons of frozen methane. Underneath the Arctic Circle are trillions of more tons of easily convertible organic materials into CO2 or methane or nitrous oxide. Nitrous oxide is a thousand times more powerful of a, of a greenhouse gas than CO2. Actually, CO2 is not the real scary one in the room. Even though they won't tell you that, they won't be honest about it, and it's not the fucking cows, okay? Cows farting? That's a fucking a shitty punk rock song, if it's anything. Cows farting is not the issue here. It is 10 or 20 or 30 or 100,000 years of frozen organic materials that are now thawing out. That's the problem. And it's the rate at which they're thawing out. So some of you will read this article and the other one about geoengineering that I have underneath it, and you'll say, oh, whatever, dude, I don't care. If you don't care, fine. Stare at your fucking phone. Pretend whatever reality is reality based on what the government is telling you. Believe me, they don't want you actually solving real problems. They want you solving make-believe ones that they control. And on the topic of cops and guns, I watched a little bit of the stupid documentary series on Netflix called Flint Town. I couldn't even make it through barely one episode, and here's why. The whole thing amounts to Flint's in terrible shape, Flint's Flint, Michigan's collapsing, Flint's got issues, Flint's got poisonous water, blah, blah, blah. Which is funny, too, when you think about it, because a lot of those motherfuckers are, gonna, are going to threaten and shame and fear their neighbors into taking the magical Russian roulette vaccination, which is funny, you know? There's poison in the waters, but take the shot. Okay, okay, you should study your history. Maybe a place called Tuskegee? And I don't mean the Tuskegee Airmen. You know, it, it basically it amounted to cops talking about how bad it is there and how they don't have the resources they need. You know, if you're going to try to control 100,000 people, you could have 100,000 cops and you, you probably still don't have enough resources. I'm sorry, you don't. All right? 100 cops is probably not enough. 100,000 is probably not enough. You know something? Controlling people like that is a bad idea. It's not just that it's immoral. It's not just that it's, you know, one of these ethical questions that people should ask. Do I have a right to use arbitrary force? It can't be done. This is another thing a lot of the normie statists don't get. And as we leave this podcast for today, because I think we probably will, um, I think this is enough. I don't want to talk about Harry Potter bullshit. Ugh. Harry Potter flying fucking trauma monkey. Um, a lot of folks who believe in the cops and the cop culture, what makes them feel good at night is that the cops are there. But what you don't get is that the cops are people, okay? I don't care about your magical robots. Th those really haven't shown up yet. And as far as the drones go, those drones still need some fucking cop to control them or somebody paid by the fucking cops. As far as all your cops go, all of them, if, for example, the food supply of the United States and 
really the whole world suffers a uh, myocardial infarct or the equivalent of a heart attack in the supply chain, if in fact the supply chain for food seizes up, there aren't enough cops. There aren't enough soldiers. There aren't enough ships, people. This is something they know. This is probably why they want to kill a bunch of people, kill a bunch of us, because they can't possibly hire enough cops to protect themselves. And and so if you're out there in your comfortable normie existence thinking that police will protect you when the shit really does go sideways, you are setting yourself up for destruction and death. You're setting up the people you care about for destruction and death, potentially worse. Why don't you ask Sarah Everard? What worse could mean? Oh, she's dead. But it's possible that worse involves torture and rape. So when you think all they can do is kill you, you need to get a little bit more imaginative. It's 2021, my friends. They can do a lot more than just kill you. They can maim you. They can give you a fucking, and I quote, operating system in an ejection, in an in an injection in a vaccine, they can give you an operating system, an mRNA vaccination, and then you can get Bell's palsy, and that's just a little bit of blue screen. Or you could get the injection and just drop dead. But I wonder, folks, I wonder in my heart if these are not just more trauma monkeys. Jim and I have talked about this. You know, we've talked about the fact that if they really wanted to keep the vaccine injuries a secret, they could. There's a whole bunch of stuff they could still keep a secret. They still keep a secret. They could cover it all up. If they can sponsor dancing nurses who should be covered in viscera and blood to dance, you and people believe that shit and there's a pandemic, think about stupid, they could totally cover up this shit. Are you fucking kidding me? What we learned in 2020 is that the level of cognitive comprehension in the general public is so low that you could drive the figurative Mack truck of lies into the consciousness of the average American. And they say, holy shit, I now see the light. see the light. Even though their head is full of shit, they would they, they see it as truth. So yes, you could do it. You could lie. You could hide the vaccine injuries. They're not doing that. They're not hiding the vaccine injuries. These things are happening out in the open. And the excuses they're giving, the, the fucking Denmark came out and said there's no connection between the blood coagulation and the vaccine. You know what? Denmark is a hooker. You can pay Denmark to do anything, all right? Denmark is the hooker of Europe, and and she's cheap in relative terms. Anywho, I am going to go hang out with some friends this weekend. Um, That's what I'm going to go do. I'm going to go put up posters today. I'm thinking of targeting around the Broadway area. So if you live in Seattle on 12th Avenue and you see some scary-looking dude walking up down the sidewalk posting these weird posters, these weird posters advertising for his little little 
podcast thing he does about the lost lectures of Charles Manson. If you see any lost lectures of Charles Manson posters up along 12th Avenue or Broadway in Seattle, I, I might have been there. So have a great weekend. Go out and have fun. Find yourself a lover. Find yourself a gun. Go out there and find your camp lover. This is the man or woman you will snuggle with in your tiny little prison camp tent. On those rainy nights, as the rats and the scromuli, the vampire worms, as the maggot, maggot elves and the tiny little creatures are feeding on whatever scrumptus was left over, on those cold nights of chemical smoke and dirty clay eyebrows and faces so destroyed by radiation and covered in pus and, and all sorts of boils, on those cold nights you need somebody. Somebody who will remove your boils for you. Someone who will cut the tumors off your back. Someone who will put a cigarette out in your wart on your back and, and, and take care of it that way. <laughs> we all need love. So go find yourself some love this weekend in whatever form that is, you know. And good luck with that.